Welcome to Future Thinking and alongside podcast miniseries from North Standard, one of the world's leading marine insurers. I'm Mike Salthouse. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Olga Dimitrescu, Head of Engagement, Oil Price Cap at the UK Office of Financial Sanctions Implementation. Olga, welcome, first of all. Thank you very much for coming down to, to see us. Thanks very much, Mike. Really good to be here. Could perhaps you say a little bit about yourself, then Offsea, and, and the role that you have within Offsea? So um, I am the head of engagement uh, for the old price cap in Offsea. Offsea being the Office of Financial Sanctions Implementation. We are part of HM Treasury. And our team is actively engaging with industry, monitoring the impact of the cap, and of course, um, enforcing against non-compliant actors. Within this team, uh, my my role and also the the role of uh, other people working for me is to make sure that we remain appraised of developments in industry and that we inform industry of upcoming changes to the guidance and to the general licenses that underpin the oil price cap mechanism. Fascinating. Thank you. So let's let's talk a little bit about the oil price cap then. Can you tell me what, from Ossie's point of view, the objectives of the oil price cap are? And, and then also, do you think they're being achieved? So I'd say the oil price cap is, is novel um, at the intersection of trade and financial sanctions. It is implemented and enforced multilaterally, which, of course, is, is a challenge in itself. And maybe just to remind our listeners, what the oil price cap does is that it operates globally by prohibiting UK and coalition entities from providing services such as shipping, insurance or finance that facilitate the maritime transportation of Russian oil, unless, of course, the oil is purchased at or below the relevant price cap. Now, the oil price cap has a dual purpose, was designed with a dual purpose. It restricts the revenues flowing to the Russian state, which in turn, of course, undermines Putin's ability to fund his war in Ukraine. And the second purpose is to ensure that third countries can continue to secure oil at affordable prices uh, and that we maintain stability in global markets. Now, in terms of the success of the policy, I think we are, broadly speaking, quite successful. We have driven down Russian revenue, which is evidenced by the IEA research published earlier this year. Uh, the OPC has contributed to reducing Russian oil export revenues by about 20, 20% in uh, 2023 compared to the previous year, 2022. And of course, there are other factors within this, within this context. There are other factors that Russia needs to contend with. There is a global decline of oil prices, which means that Russian oil export revenues were all 9% lower month on month in December 2023, despite the increase in export volumes. So the price cap operates alongside other uh, other drivers uh, at international level that converge to, to impact Russian profits. And furthermore, we also know that the cost of creating and maintaining this infamous shadow fleet is around $2.25 billion in just one year, according to Yale research. And of course, this uh, this further diminishes Russia's profits from oil exports, even if indirectly. So this is kind of on the on the revenue side, I'd say we are, um, we are achieving our purpose. Uh, on the oil flow side, there is stability in the market. Oil prices did spike prior to the price cap uh, due to the war risk premium, of course. But the OPC reassured and calmed the markets, which gives us further evidence that the Russian the, the price cap is delivering against its dual intended purpose. Good. I'm, I'm really glad actually you highlighted some of the successes of the oil price cap because I think sometimes in all the conversation about it that that gets that gets missed. So given that you know it has had a, a real impact on the amount of revenue that Russia generates from its oil sales, do you anticipate changes to the oil price cap system 
2024? Uh, definitely. Maybe taking back one step, I'd say that the, our overall priority is to tighten compliance and enforcement of the of the policy of the mechanism. And within this within this aim, maybe to give you a bit of a timeline, in the first quarter, what we'll want to do is focus on updating the attestation process in February, as of 19th of February, uh, which is quite a significant change. And then we'll also take stock of industry feedback in the coming months and see see how that is implemented and perhaps do an internal evaluation of um, of its impact. In the second quarter, we'll very likely up the ante on enforcement and uh, continue taking action against actors engaged in deceptive practices. Now, of course, there may be further coalition advisory notes, statements, or there may also be new designations under the Russia sanctions regime. And we retain the right to to keep our options open. But the overall theme is remaining, we want to remain nimble and we want to crack down on circumvention. Understood, absolutely. And of course, uh, on 19th of February, we've got some changes uh, being made to the attestation process. Perhaps you could you could explain those a little bit or describe those. I'd say there are three main changes from the 19th of February onwards. The first one is the attestations that are now uh, that we now expect to be cascaded proactively on a per voyage basis. The introduction of a new requirement to record and provide itemized ancillary costs, and also the creation of the two sub-tiers, tier 3A and tier 3B. But just to give you a bit more insight into this, um, so for the, the per voyage basis attestations, what we're looking at is a new attestation model whereby attestations are to be cascaded or passed down proactively from tier one to tier two to then tier three providers on a per voyage basis as part of, of course, the relevant transaction. And um, I guess when when we say a voyage, uh, what what we mean is that um, a voyage is a period between when the oil is loaded onto a ship and when it's offloaded. So to the extent that we're doing, uh, that that we see... several ship-to-ship transfers, those would constitute two separate voyages. So there will be, we, we would want to see yeah. more attestations being yeah. shared down the chain. As for the the second the second requirement, uh, re- recording and providing itemized ancillary costs, again, these are to be recorded by tier one entities and of course, tier two entities with access to price information and then provided to tier two and tier three contractual counterparties upon request. So that would be the difference. First one is proactive and we'd expect that to happen. And the, the second requirement is upon request. Right. So it would not necessarily need to happen um, proactively. The third change, the creation of um, the splitting of, of tier three into these two sub-tiers, 3A and 3B, the rationale behind this split is that entities that are placed in tier 3B are seen to, we, we judge them to operate at such a distance from the original transaction and the voyages that it may not be entirely practical to obtain an attestation for each voyage. And so creating this sub-tier better reflects how, how the market operates and is slightly more workable for industry. And of course, tier 3B, will we've already mentioned this in the in the existing guidance, um, it will comprise reinsurers, financial institutions that provide general financing facilities, P&I clubs, cargo insurers, hollow machinery, insurance brokers, and ship owners will all be in tier 3A. Yeah. Understood. Um, and perhaps you could also explain um, what, what Offsea are hoping to achieve with the, these new changes. We've listened to feedback from industry and we understand that currently there is limited sight of what's going on in all transactions. We also understand that the current model is um, 
exploited by nefarious actors who falsify attestation documents in order to unlock access to coalition services. Um, and of course, because because these transactions appear to be price compliant, uh, price cap compliant, we realize that good faith service providers can inadvertently be drawn into facilitating illegal trades. And so because of that, what we're trying to achieve is increasing the visibility of transactions across the entire supply chain and also empowering legitimate actors to refine their due diligence processes. And particularly, we realize that supply chains are quite complex, they cross you know, cross jurisdiction. And so on one hand, we want to empower these, these market participants uh, to have... Um, to have more more transparency and more visibility across transactions and, and gain more confidence uh, in their counterparties. But at the same time, we want to provide G7 authorities with additional intel to support investigations into suspicious trades um, and also allow for a more targeted enforcement approach. And so I'd say that overall, the changes these changes have been designed to ensure a balance between enforceability and maintaining incentives to for continued trading. And of course, it will make it easier for good faith actors to comply with the price cap, whilst also making evasion more more challenging. Yeah, well, let's hope so. So staying with the attestation, um, the, the new attestation contains a right to require a breakdown of the ancillary shipping costs from a contractual counterpart. So I think uh, we'd be interested in learning what in what circumstances would you expect a tier 3A party, such as a P&I club or perhaps a ship owner, to make such a request? I think th- th- there are several, there are several um, scenarios uh, where that could be activated. So perhaps if um, a service provider wants wants additional clarification about a particular trade uh, as part of their own due diligence processes, or maybe they have they are interacting with a new counterparty they do not they do not have sufficient information about. Maybe they are requested by another contractual counterparty in the chain. Um, or perhaps OFSI is um, requesting that, that information. I see. Okay, interesting. Now um, let's uh, let's move on and have a look at the dark, or as I prefer to call it, the parallel fleet, um, because that or the growth of this parallel fleet has been one of the less welcome consequences of the oil price cap. I'm I'm curious, what actions is Offsea taking to reduce the number of Russian oil shipments on vessels that do not access coalition services? That is a really good question. Um, we are aware. There is a parallel fleet. There's, there's no denying that, and we know that it has also grown significantly, which is slightly unwelcome. But as I mentioned earlier, that comes at a significant cost to Russia. Um, 2.25 billion dollars in one year that is spent by the Putin regime on tankers and not tanks, <laughs> as yeah. our uh, coalition partners like to say. So I'd say that perhaps looking at this on two different levels um, in terms of our response to this. So there's an internal level to the, what, what are we doing within the jurisdiction of the G7 plus coalition. Primarily, we want to have more guidance around deceptive practices. We're updating our compliance rules and regulations as seen in the um, advisory that we've issued on the 12th of October last year. Um, the coalition statement on the 20th of December, and of course, the, the red alert sent out earlier this morning. And what we're trying to do with this additional guidance that takes the form of not just the, the oil price cap guidance, uh, but also these alert statements. And um, what we're trying to do is to ensure that legitimate industry actors remain vigilant and are able to inf- enhance their compliance processes. And they know the steps that we expect them to uh, to take in case of um, 
in case there's any inadvertent misinterpretation of the of the cap or even if there is some some outright non-compliance so this is internally to the uh, to the coalition yes, now yes. external to that because we realize that there is a world out there uh, that is um, outside our our nexus what we're doing against the, the shadow fleet is very much taking action against those entities that are deliberately circumventing the sanction. Um, we've got designations. The FCDO has already designated uh, a number of entities, and that can that can continue to happen in uh, in 2024. There will be more coalition alerts that go to governments as well. There is international engagement with state actors, so with other governments, we're trying to trying to drive up um, understanding of and compliance with uh, our aims and also making making these other governments aware of the maritime risks that are associated with um, with circumvention of the cap and of course the the environmental risks as well and so i'd say that by operating on both these two levels we're making it harder for russia to use its shadow fleet which in turn would force more volume back into the g7 fleet where service providers are compliant with the cap and it's, it's interesting, actually, because I saw it's been reported in the maritime press that a number of Indian banks are refusing to engage with vessels that seem to have been carrying these cargoes that are part of this, this parallel fleet. I think that was reported today. Um, do do Offsea have any figures or any, any understanding as to what proportion of Russian oil cargoes currently think still access the coalition services? We know there's been a reduction. We want to crack down on non-compliance and circumvention. So what we want to do is force these volumes back into the G7 fleet. Yeah. And particularly since it is in our interest that this happens. Uh, one of the reasons why the price cap is so effective is because we have this prevalence of services provided by G7 uh, service providers. It is difficult to make trades or gain significant market share without using G services at all. So we w- this is why we're talking to industry. We never wanted to cut off G7 maritime services from insuring or being involved in the global trade of, of Russian oil cargoes. We, we need the, um, the price cap to remain workable. And this is why we're quite keen to make sure that these volumes are forced back into, into our jurisdictions. Yeah. Oh, that's encouraging. Right. Um, so one very topical question. Um, you mentioned it, I think, slightly earlier today, and it's the 1st of February for those of you who are listening. Um, Offsea published a compliance advisory. Would you like to take uh, the opportunity to say just a few words about this and perhaps how we should read it alongside the oil price cap guidance? Definitely. Um, so we've, um, as of this morning, we have published this uh, red alert on compliance and enforcement. It contains an overview of key evasion methods and specific recommendations on how to identify these method- methods, how to mitigate their risks and, and negative impacts, as well as information on how to report um, suspected breaches ac- across the price cap coalition. Just to give you a very quick overview, we're looking at falsified documentation and attestations, opaque shipping and ancillary costs, overly complex supply chains that include third countries with um, intermediaries that have also quite irregular corporate structures, um, shadow fleet, of course, irregularities in voyages, and also a little bit on flagging. Excellent. Good. Well, I, I haven't read it yet, but I, I certainly will do so. I'm sure there'll be lots of very good uh, advice and guidance contained in it. Olga and Offsi, thank you very much for taking the time today to explain your approach. Thanks for having us, Mike. Oh, delighted. Well, that's it, everybody, for this episode of Future Thinking. Remember to listen to the other episodes in the Future Thinking series, where we talk all things maritime, from ship security in the Red Sea to what another Trump presidency might mean for the world. You'll find the Alongside podcast and these Future Thinking episodes on the North Standard website at north-standard.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. 
You can also click follow to ensure that you don't miss a single episode. From me, Mike Salthouse, bye for now.